Get your Bible, get it ready, get it out to John's Gospel, open it up to chapter 1. I'm going to begin at verse 4. We know the old, we know that wonderful, wonderful scripture, I was blind. All I know, the man that Jesus healed from blindness, uh, he said to the Pharisees, all I know is I was blind and now I see glory to God. So, if you found John chapter 1, verse 4, John says of Jesus, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness did not comprehend it. And then skipping down to verse 9, The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. And he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Pray with me one more time. Father, we worship you, Lord, above everything with open hearts. Father, Connie said something about us needing to listen Lord, through all the different streams that flow to us with news in the world today, we need to hear from the news maker of heaven and the ruler of earth. We need to hear from you. I pray you will speak to us today, Father. Hearts will be open, fertile, and ready in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, did you know that God has created you essentially and designed you for fellowship with himself. You're designed to fellowship with God. That's why he created you and he spun the entire universe around that desire to fellowship between you and himself. And so think of it like this. God designed you to have the life of God in you without having to be God. Christians staggered, stumble, trying to be God, but we are called to have the life of God without having the pressure of having to be God. So surging from the soul of man is this ever-probing, primal desire for life. We are designed to live, not just be animated like other living things, like creatures and animals, but we have a soul made in the image and likeness of God, designed for life. And when we forfeited that life through sin, we have been craving, searching, and mostly in destructive ways because of the blinding effect of sin, we are probing, searching, and reaching always for life. We are trying to strain life out of the experiences that we go through. Our history is a struggle against darkness in the quest for light. Why such darkness? Why such evil and struggle, lack of peace in the world? It's because of the quest for light from people that are bound under the frustration of darkness. We crave transcendence. It is essential to the human experience. We crave to elevate above where we're at, always reaching. 
And so God, John's gospel, different from the other three gospels, was written with this perspective in mind. So he introduces Jesus to the world as essentially man's greatest need. He presents Jesus as man's most essential need, which uh, could be described as God offering you the ability to understand and possess life. The, the nature of sin is that it, it introduced death into us, and we live in this prison called death, reaching out for life. Jesus comes into the world, and who is he? He is the light of life. He has come to give life, and he does so by shining the light of life or giving the understanding in hopes that hearts will see him. Hearts will reach out and hunger and searching for that light. will see it in Jesus. And so man's most essential needs provided by God coming into the world and offering us the opportunity to understand and to possess for ourselves life. So that's why he is called the light of life. In other words, you must have his life and must see life in him. If you want life, the life that God is offering, the life you were designed to experience, you need to see it in Jesus because he is life and he is the life giver. In verse 14 of the same chapter of John, a little further down, John writes this wonderful, wonderful statement. He says, And the word was made flesh and lived among us. We beheld his glory. And I want you to think of the word glory as effulgence, as the emission, the, the radiating, if you will, of the light of life. Let's think of that as glory. And so um, we see his glory when he's casting de devils out. We see his glory when he is raising the dead. We see his glory when he is condescending to people of low estate and loving the, the unloved. And, and we, we see the outshining of what man needs most. We see that love and we call it glory. And so John writes, we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus himself said it this way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am not just an idea. I'm not just God coming and setting things right or presenting a better covenant. I myself am the life. And he offended even his followers in the sixth chapter of John when he stood up and he said to them, he said, I'm the bread of life. He said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part to do with me. And so he said, that's how you must get life in you. I am life. I've come to be broken for you so that you can eat. And my, my life is in my blood. I give my body. I give my whole experience to you, and I give you my blood. I am the way, the truth, and the life. But then, in, in the midst of John's beautiful, glorious description of Jesus, he brings us immediately up against life's darkest paradox called spiritual blindness. And in the middle of this beautiful description of Jesus as the light of life, 
he introduces spiritual blindness by saying he came to his own, his own received him not. He, he lighted into the world, but, but the world in darkness did not see, did not understand him. Essentially, spiritual blindness could be described with a question, how can people, and, and this is not just an academic question, this is, this is a question you should be asking of yourselves, not only about yourself, but of those who are around you. How can people suffering under the darkness, desperate for life, desperate for love, fail to see it when it's standing right in front of them? That is one of the greatest paradoxes of the Bible, right there in John 1. Here comes the love of God. Here comes the life, the light of, of God's love, shining, beaming forth to give life to people, to give love to people, purpose. And there they are in darkness, and he's shining right into their eyes, and they cannot see him. They don't recognize him. That is a paradox. Um, so John reveals spiritual blindness, and <clears throat> he, he shows basically and presents spiritual blindness as the thing that keeps people trapped under the deadly dysfunction of sin. People are trapped spiritually. When people are spiritually blind, they are prisoners of that blindness. It's not just they, they can't focus they are craving the very thing that they work against. Um, Paul described it in a very blunt, in-your-face way when in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7, he, Paul called it, called spiritual blindness, the mystery of iniquity. The mystery of iniquity. And he talks about how the mystery of iniquity was already working throughout the human race. And so the mystery of iniquity, iniquity means lawlessness. And so he refers to it as a mystery because it is bizarre. It is weird why we did the things that we did, why we do the things that we do sometimes. There's, there's a mystery behind spiritual blindness because it describes if, if I could take a little poetic license and not be over dramatic about it, it describes the insanity of sin, driving people away from the very love they so desperately crave. Now, none of us want to think of ourselves as having been broken. None of us want to think of ourselves as having been insane with sin. But the fact is, everything about our life reflected the fact that we were insane under the mystery of iniquity. Um, one of the classic examples, and we see it all the time, just, just one little example out in society. Why do abused women defend their tormentors and keep on going back to them? Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but some of you have either been there or you've had experiences with, with friends or loved ones who were in that situation, and it is absolutely insane. There's no reason, no logic. Why do you keep going back to your tormentor? Why do you keep defending them when love is standing right in front of you, offering to free you, yet for some reason you keep surrendering to the chains of darkness and of torment? That's why it's called the mystery of iniquity. So there stands Jesus basically 
reaching out his hand to those oppressed, tormented. And the Bible says they couldn't see it. They couldn't see it. And I would say they wouldn't see it. There's a will involved. And so spiritual blindness or the mystery of iniquity, whatever you want to call it, basically causes people who need life, who need the love of God, and it causes them to actually work against that very love that God is trying to offer them. So John expresses this dark paradox that we see when he writes, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. So the great question, I have said all this to just bring it to a question, why? Why is it that people who God is calling to receive his life, receive his love, hear that call, but they're not experiencing it? Why is it that they're not receiving that love, receiving that life, even after they have come to know him? Now we're talking about Christians. We're talking about people who have been enlightened. Why is it that God who wants to pour his glory out in us, we're not seeing it and we're not receiving it? The answer is the whole point of this message. And the answer is that you cannot experience the glory of God while seeking the glory and validation that comes from people. That is the reason in every single case why people who need God's help, need His glory, the glory of His love, the glory of His mercy and His forgiveness and His healing. Why when it's right in front of them they can't see it? It's because their eyes are on the validation and the glory of others. They are trying to get a family member. They're trying to get society or they're trying to get other people to validate them. They're trying to receive glory from people. And the two do not mix. In John chapter 5, verse 44, Jesus challenged the Pharisees. And if you've never read this or read it and skipped over it and hadn't really thought about it, I want to challenge you this morning to listen because this point is one of those indispensable truths. You, there's no getting past it. You can't get around what Jesus is about to say. He looks at the Pharisees and the scribes who are really the, they are the, the preachers, the religious teachers of Jesus' day, and they are absolutely fighting him at every turn of the road. And as it turns out, towards the end, it becomes apparent that a number of them realize that he is the Messiah, and they still fight and resist against him. And trying to understand and explain that insanity, but Jesus challenges them in John 6, or excuse me, John 5 and verse 44. He says, how is it possible for you to believe who are content to look and receive praise and honor and glory from one another? He just nails all of us who are, who are trying to get approval and validation and glory from man. How is it possible for you to believe? He's telling them why they can't believe. He's telling them to their face why they cannot receive. Because they want to take the glory, the light, the love that God has to offer, but they want it on their terms. They want to do their will and they want God to bless it. And he said, how can you believe? 
You can't act in faith. You can't believe as long as you, Jesus said, are content to seek and receive praise and honor and glory from one another. And yet not to seek the praise and honor and glory which comes from him who alone is God. There's a message and it really illuminates like a shocking light against the darkness of our culture that is becoming darker by the moment. And that principle, God is wanting to restore back to the church today. And that is the glory of God and the glory of man cannot mix. And you need to get off the fence. And in your own personal life, you need to go back to remembering and restructuring yourself and your whole entire agenda and separating out the will of God from the will of man. Is what I'm doing for my glory or is it for his glory? Is this my will I'm seeking? Am I looking to have people acknowledge me or do I want the acknowledgement that only comes from God? And perhaps this question never confronts you until people reject you, until people withhold from you the acknowledgement that you want, that you crave, that you think. You don't realize you're depending on people until they don't give it to you. And now you're upset, and you're frustrated, and there's not a one of us that haven't experienced that. Every one of us. How many of you are married? Then you know what this is all about. You absolutely understand. Because there's nothing like marriage and the intimacy of that relationship that helps to bring to the forefront the disappointment of expecting approbation, expecting confirmation, expecting legitimization, and not getting it from the person that you need it from, that you want it from. At that moment, you and I, our prayers are either going to reach the throne of God and receive a glorious answer because with forgiveness and mercy, we turn away from depending on people and we look to God and we say, God, you alone are the life. You are the way. You are the truth. So craving validation and pursuing glory from people blinds you to the glory of God. That's why they could not see the glory of God. Did you notice that the people that did see the light were often humble or broken? And by humble and broken, I don't mean rich or impoverished, because not all rich people are arrogant and proud, and not all poor people. By the way, the love of money is committed by poor people a lot more frequently than it is by rich people. Poor people love money because they want it and they've got to have it. And so the love of money. So before we become accusatory, and let's just sort out ourselves. Amen? Amen. Craving validation, pursuing glory from other people will blind you from the glory of God. You won't be able to see the glory of God as long as you're blinded by looking for it in people. Listen, when our lives are permeated with the opinions of other people, we become paralyzed without their approval. Think about it. People can't move forward when, when they are so instructed, so affected by the opinions of society 
or the opinions of a mother or a father or one person or whoever it might be or whatever group of people. When those opinions so permeate you, so affect your thinking, you become paralyzed, unable to move forward. And especially this is true of Christians, incapable of moving forward and experiencing freedom. You're paralyzed by your dependency on the opinions of others. Be careful and keep your soul free from the opinions of men, from the opinions of people. Because when that occurs, it makes us blind to the glory that God is trying to reveal to us. A lot of people, a lot of Christians, a lot of churches are not receiving and experiencing the glory that God wants to give because they are trying to please people. They're looking to the opinions of others. God's glory will not compete with self-will or with the pride of men. That's, that's worth the, if you, had to pay, if you paid for this message, that would be worth the price of admission. Thank God always comes free. But the fact is, God's glory cannot be shared with self-will and the pride of men. The manifestation of Jesus' glory is that of Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He cannot be received as a supplement or an additive to the will of man. It just doesn't work. And yet, we don't intend to do it, but it happens. It, it, it's very common. It happens a lot that we become fixed in our will for something. And our glory is tied up in having things our way and wanting our will to be fulfilled. But we have, and then we're praying. And that's when people begin to become discouraged and think God's not answering prayer. Why is God not answering? Because spiritual blindness has interfered in your progress, is holding you back. You're not seeing his glory. You have to choose to follow Jesus or follow the world. You have to choose the glory of God over the glory of men. It is just as simple as that. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I, I think with the message of the church today that is so popular, we have, we have strained out that hard and difficult point because you can't get past it and progress in the kingdom. Jesus must be received as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. So the fact is the Holy Spirit cannot simply overlook self-glory and then displace it with the glory of God's presence. As long as self-glory is there, it you're going to have to get rid of it before the Holy Spirit can release the glory of God in your life. That's why the Bible says repent, and then times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. This is not easy. I mean, this is probably easy for you to explain, but it's, this is that word that's sweet in the mouth and bitter in the belly. If you go and try to work this out in your life, this week, you'll be blessed by it, but it is bitter in the belly. Because one of the things you're going to run into in immediately is that today's culture, 
The culture around us, the culture of the world today has made, and most of us are old enough to remember this tremendous paradigm shift that the focal point of culture at some point in our culture, in our society, went from being living for a higher, more divine purpose and serving that purpose to being I am the purpose. And everything that matters is what I feel and what I want. And we are literally paying, whether it's through our tax dollars or spending money on private education, we are paying to have our children like coal shoveled into a hellish furnace called education today and their minds being corrupted as they're being taught that they are the center of their own universe, that they are the ones that really count. When it really matters, you count. In fact, we have changed the concept of the truth and it's now become the Oprah truth, whatever your truth is. What's your truth? I've come to honor your truth. Today's culture is slavishly addicted to approval from people. It's based on approval from people. Modern morality is so chronically addicted to human opinion that they shame and cancel anyone who won't bend to their will or seek their approval. So we have gone from respect and tolerance for people as individuals made in the image and likeness of God, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, to a completely self-centered, militaristic morality that says you have to honor my truth and my way. And this is why less and less of God's real glory is showing up even in churches that lift up his name, even in churches that, that uh, open their doors in the name of Jesus. Because you cannot live for the glory and opinions of people. You can't honor the glory of men and expect the honor of the glory of God to show up because God's glory is a validation. It was a validation on Jesus that he was the son of God and it was a validation on the early church that they were humble before him and received him as king and Lord. Somebody say, praise God. This explains why churches can be based in correct doctrine, humanitarian love, and a culture of worship and still not experience the presence of God's glory. Because underneath all the doing and the doctrine, the will of man is still controlling the work of God. And God will stand off to the side as long as the will of man is what's really running things. Then God will hold his glory and you can create your own glory. And that's what we call religion. By the way, that really is the difference between, between churchianity and true Christianity is the glory, the presence. If Jesus is the light of life, then that light, should be shining and the life should be manifesting. If it's not manifesting, there's a conflict. And it comes down to whose opinion are we serving? What matters to us? 
That's not only religion, that's the Tower of Babel. That's exactly what the story of the Tower of Babel was all about, was gathering people around the opinions and promises and the approval of a man and saying, I'll get you to God. When God said, I myself will come and you can deal with me. Man's self-will, however sincere it may be, will never be the lamp of God's glory. It just won't. It can't work. And let's bring this home in, in our own life. The fact is, God's not going to pour out his spirit or his anointing where people's opinion is a controlling factor in your life. And so some of the things we may be praying for or seeking God for that we're not seeing an answer, not seeing his wisdom, his glory coming, there, there may be a conflict of wills that needs to be resolved. Lord, is it your will, your will first? In Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 22, God said, turn to me. Another way of saying it could be, look to me. You need to overcome spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness is this. It's not the absence of eyes or eyes that don't work. It is eyes that won't work. And God said, look to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. I am God. Not I am a God and you know, uh, um, or, or I'm an additive, or I'm a supplement, but I am God, and there is no other answer. I am it. And I'll tell you, you want to get to the place where God's answers are manifest, that's what you have to get to. Look to me, there is no other. So when there is no other, and you're casting all your care upon Him, and you're repenting for having looked for the validation of people, then that glory from God will come through. Amen? Amen? Look, if you doubt that God would be so strenuous as to demand this of you, let me remind you that Jesus walked by this rule. Jesus practiced this rule. Jesus went into the garden and said, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus said repeatedly, repeatedly, I seek not my own glory, but the glory of that comes from the Father. Yet, he stands before Philip and he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Why? Because I am proceeding from the Father. The glory in me is the glory of the Father. That's why I don't conflict who, with who and what I am. Now, follow me closely. Jesus is the Father, the I am, tabernacling in human flesh. The I am becomes man. He stands before the Jewish council and he says before Abraham was, I am. And they knew exactly what he was saying. He stands before Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Yet Jesus is so careful to make sure that every act, everything he did was the Father saying it, the Father doing it, the glory of the Father. By the way, before you get nervous and Think you're going to fall out and have a heart attack right in church because it's like, oh my God, you mean I can't do anything? What if God doesn't want me to go to work tomorrow? Um, understand, this is a walk, and the thing that makes a difference is heart, the right heart. The right heart. It's that heart attitude, Lord, help me. God understands. 
He knows that half the stuff we do is self-will. He understands it. But where the departure takes place is when we hit that point where we refuse. We refuse to humble our will. We refuse to humble ourselves. We say, I don't care. I need to have people recognize me. I need to do it my way. When you hit that area, then, there's, then there is the recognition that there's God's way, but hey, I don't really care. I want it my way. So even Jesus said, if you're willing, take this cup from me. And did you ever read what happened after that? It says, after he said that, then there appeared an angel from heaven strengthening him. I believe there's an angel from heaven with the strengthening that you need ready to appear and pour it out on you. What is he waiting for? The need is here right now. What's he waiting for? Not my will. Yours be done. I relinqu- I'm not looking for my glory. I'm looking for your glory. Somebody say praise the Lord. So look, you know, we could pound this thing and probably get more out of it. But uh, I think we've made the point, and I want to I invite you to prayer with this thought. If you're ready to put aside the opinions and the approval of people, including your own opinions and your own self-approval, in favor of the approval of God, then God is good. He is merciful. He's ready to lift blindness from you and pierce your situation with his light. Not my will, but yours be done. It's called surrender. And if he is who he says that he is, then no sweeter surrender will you ever experience. God is good. Now, if you're not sure of that, then of course you're just going to have to go with your own will for a little longer before... That hasn't been working too good for you, by the way. But, uh, you know, the one thing that everybody who, who gives their life to Christ and really is awakened and made new is, why in the world didn't I do this earlier? That's what everybody says. Why did I let the devil eat up so much of my life? Why did I let so much of my energy, so much of my time be, be wasted and eaten up? I could have been walking with the Lord. Well, there is no time like the right now time to say, I surrender self. I surrender self. Lord, show me if there's, you know, one of the things I love about a message like this, um, they don't come along very often, but when they do, you always get sincere Christians are the first ones to run up, throw themselves on the altar. And God, if there's anything in me, whatever, just show me what it is. I don't, you know, and they probably need it the least, but they live by that all the time. It's a habit. It's the way they live. Lord, not thy will, but yours be done. It's those of us who sit back and go, well, that's not me. <laughs> um, but still, you know, it is your decision. It is, it is yours to look at yourself. It's not my opinion of you or anyone else's. You have to be honest with your own heart. So I'd like you to close your Bible or shut your device down, whatever. Put it aside. Now. I'd like you to just stand with me for a moment.
And let's ask for the help of the Holy Spirit. The thing that makes all this awesome is that when Jesus rose from the dead, he said, the Holy Spirit who is in me, who has been with me, guiding me, I'm going to send him to you. I'm going to send him to you. You're going to receive him. He will lead and guide you into truth. He will strengthen you. He will show you the things to come. He will lead you. You're never alone. I will be with you. I will be with you. And so we're so grateful for the presence of the Holy Spirit with us this morning in our hearts. And let's just ask the Father to just let His Spirit speak to us and show us, do I need this message this morning? Heavenly Father, we're grateful. We're grateful that you did not leave us as orphans. In fact, right now, we who have received Christ, we are the sons and daughters of the living God because life is in us. The spirit of life is in us. The same life that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. And you are our teacher. You have given us your spirit so that we might freely know the things that you have given to us. So Father, show us. Is this message for us? Is this for me today? Show me, Lord, the areas, and here's where you want to make it personal. Show me the areas, Lord, where I have not been able to move forward, either in emotions or in mentality or in physical action, in business or in relationships. Show me where in life I have not been able to move forward because I am looking for approval, I'm looking for glory, I'm looking for credit from somewhere other than from you. And I'm putting myself in conflict with your kingdom and with your glory. I believe, Father, that you want to pour out your mercy, your grace, your life. You came. You did everything to demonstrate that. I embrace that. I believe that. Show me, Lord, if I have been fighting against that purpose. Show me if I have some blindness somewhere in my mind, in my heart. Show me if there is a myopic condition that exists in me. Reveal it to me. Let me know, Father, because I want my whole focus, Lord, to be on you. I want to be able to keep my eyes on you. Lord, the Peter in me sees the waves, the wind. I'm distracted by it. It's human nature. But you said, just keep looking at me. So, Lord, show me. And if, if the answer is yes, if somewhere in your life there is some shred of this looking elsewhere rather than the Lord, you need to take a step of faith to step out and trust Him. I want to ask you to step out from your chair first. Just come down here and gather. Find a place to stand in the front or kneel or whatever you'd like to do. Um, but just as as you are acknowledging that this is, you in some way need this answer, need to make this decision, come. Come right now and find a place and just stand before the Lord before we pray. Be bold. This is not the time to worry about what people think. This is not the time to be concerned. 
with the opinions of others. Be bold. Be brave. Just come. Just come.